0: On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world Lost sinners was slain in that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For For 'twas on that old cross. Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies happen. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To that old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach last. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever. For crown.
1: Well, amen. Well, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 143. Psalm 143, we've been uh, dealing with and addressing our Reaching Forth series, and we've been in the text, the, the text, identifying the context of it, and we've been doing that, we've already done that five weeks, and now we're going to just over the next few kind of identify areas in which we need to reach forth. <clears throat> and today we want to talk about reaching forth unto God. Just for just a short time today, consider that thought, that theme today. And again, it's, um, it's definitely uh, something that we all probably need to spend a little time uh, reflecting on. And so let's go ahead and read in the book of Psalm, chapter 143, verse 6. And I utilize this as our verse um, to kick things off. It's, uh, It's an amazing verse, really. It's the psalmist here, David, in Psalm 143, verse 6. He says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee, as a thirsty land, Selah. Again, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee, as a thirsty land. Father, we ask, Lord, you'd bless us. Thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we do pray that something would be said that would truly stir our hearts and move us in the direction closer and toward you. We, we need you. And we know that we need to reach forth unto you. Lord, may we all see a need to do so today. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just fill me with your Holy Ghost. May I be your mouthpiece. I I honestly have nothing to say to this thy people except you give it me. And, Lord, I, I, I know that, Father, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, I don't need to, to stand up here and wax eloquently. I just simply need to share your truth, your word. And, Lord, you'll take that truth and you'll apply it to every heart and mind that is within earshot. Dear God of heaven, we need you. And, Lord, I especially today need you. And I pray that you'd be with every listening ear again. And may they hear it with spiritual ears. Father be real to us today. And Lord may we get a glimpse of you. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm chapter 143, verse 6 is a powerful, powerful verse. In this particular case, we see David's hands raised to God because he, he longed for God. He thirsted for fellowship with him. We see verses like that throughout the Psalms. In the verse uh, Psalm 63, we see David again. It says, uh, it was when he was in the wilderness of Judah, he said, Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Boy, I mean to tell you, David had a thirst. David had a hunger. David had a desire to know God in a very intimate, unique way. I... uh, I'm a little concerned, it seems, that uh, we don't see more of that kind of longing and desire from our young men and our young ladies today. But I'm also concerned because, honestly, in our own lives as adults, we too could use a little dose of that kind of thirst, that kind of hunger. You know, we often wonder, well, why in the world aren't there more young people surrendering to ministry or being willing to start churches or to be witnesses on behalf of Jesus Christ? Well, what about us? And I'm just saying, I think that David holds the key here. David is saying, listen, I have a thirst for God. I have a hunger for the Lord Jesus Christ. I stretch forth my hands unto Him. We learned a thousand years later in the book of Acts that David possessed a wonderful testimony and reputation with God. We noticed in that passage in Acts chapter 13. uh, Turn there. Go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 13, verse 21. We're going to see how David views, excuse me, how God views David now. And, uh, and, and this is a thousand years afterwards. You know, this has been, uh, the, king, the king has already died. He's, he's uh, no longer on earth and ruling and reigning, but God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to speak about him while he's on earth. Look what he says in Acts chapter 13 about David, verse 21. The history of Israel is being kind of alluded to, and he says, and afterward... Acts thirteen twenty one and afterward they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kiss, a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. Now we all know that Saul was a ripoff. He really wasn't the king that God had intended. He surely was a fleshly man and ultimately got into real trouble with God early on. And even though he ruled for 40 years, we knew that the kingdom was not going to be his or his uh, family's moving forward. And he goes on in verse 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. My, oh, my, what a powerful testimony. A man after God's own heart. A man that God would ultimately use and his offspring to bring into the world the literal Savior. Uh, It's amazing to think about. But here he is, a man after God's own heart. Why in the world would God identify him or label him a man after his own heart? I believe it's because of his desire and thirst and longing for God. I think that we see the real Crux of it here in Psalm 43 when he says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. I hunger for you, God. I thirst for you, God. I want more of you and I want to experience you more. And I believe that's what truly made him a man after God's own heart. He did a lot of things, but he also did some things wrong. So I got to believe that it was his heart, his desire, his longing that truly set him apart from so many. Can I tell you that David does not have to stand alone in this endeavor? There is nothing that says that you and I cannot have the same hunger or the same thirst, the same desire for God. Again, what stood out to me in the passage was how the Bible describes his longing for God. He says he describes it in two ways, and I'm going to go with the second first, but he says thirst. First thirst. I I noticed that word thirst. Now, temperatures in Israel range from about 40 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit. And there was a rainy season, and there was a dry season. Israel was located on a fertile crescent, which meant that the soil was very fertile because of the rivers that ran through it. But geographically, Israel was also extremely diverse. They had desert conditions in the south, and they had snow-capped mountains in the north. I mean, it's crazy. You can go skiing one day and drive down south, go to the desert the next. Now, David compares his thirst for God to like a desert land, a drought-stricken land that is in dire need of rainwater. The heavens open up, the rain descends, and the land just anxiously, anxiously soaks up every last drop of it. I mean, the desert floor is so dry that when the rain hits it, it just goes. And David says, that's my heart. That's how much I long for you. I thirst for you, God. I'm like that dry land. I'm like that drought land. I'm like that desert land. I just need you so desperately. I want so much to have you in my life and to be part of your existence. And that's how David longs for God. He's thirsty for God like the desert is thirsty for rain. But then also he expresses himself by using this state. He stretches himself. He says, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. Now, again, why is he stretching his hands to God? I mean, he's stretching them out. It's likely that this particular psalm, Psalm 143, was written during Absalom's rebellion. Remember Absalom, remember his son who who had uh, ultimately uh, got out of favor with David and eventually fled, and then he brought Absalom back into uh, Jerusalem, and then now he wouldn't go see Absalom because, of course, he had killed his brother, and uh, all these things are happening and David's mind is going a million miles an hour and Absalom thinks that David hates his guts and he gets bitter toward his dad because he didn't handle some things the way he should and pretty soon Absalom is is raising up a coup Absalom's sitting at the city gate and he's saying man listen if I was king let me tell you what I would do and if I was there I'd meet your needs and I would I would get the job done and I know David says a lot of things but he doesn't follow through but I follow through and I would get it done and He started winning the hearts of the people, and pretty soon he decides he's going to be king now. And so he wars with his father. He even seeks the life of his own father. And we believe that this psalm was written during the time when Absalom is seeking to rise to power, when when he's battling even against his own dad, when his dad has to literally leave Jerusalem for safety. And so he's reaching out to God. Of course, he's crying out to God, I stretch stretch forth my hands unto thee, there's another passage that we believe to have been written at the same time in the book of Psalms, chapter 42 in 42, verses one through two. The Bible says, "And the heart, uh, as the heart dear, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God." Now, the writer of that particular psalm isn't really known to us. We don't know for sure whether it's David or not. It certainly mirrors those statements that David makes in other places in the psalms. And i got to believe that it probably was written by him. But once again, we see the heart of David. And that passage as well is during a time of different, very difficult conflict in David's life. David was going through a horrible time. His life, his future were looking bleak and grim. And David stretched forth his hands in hope of receiving God's aid in the midst of his mess, I'm sure. And he finds himself in that mess, and he turns to God. But I do believe that there's more to it than just preservation for David. I do believe that. I think there's more to it. I believe David desired more than a deliverance. He desired fellowship. He desired comfort. He desired strength. He desired the presence of the Lord in his life. I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone through a difficult time, I mean, it's extremely difficult. I'm not just talking about that, you know, they raised double cheeseburgers up 25 cents a piece. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's traumatic, I know, but it's not nearly <laughs> what it could be, right? It's not like being on the run from your son, right, you know? But if you've ever been through a really difficult time in your life, you know what it is to enter into the presence of the Lord. If you've entered into his presence, all of a sudden, all of those things fade. It's an amazing thing how God just brings a supernatural peace that does indeed pass all understanding. It's amazing. And we know that David, I believe, is seeking that kind of peace. He's seeking that kind of help from the Lord, and he's longing to be in God's presence. He's reaching out as much as he possibly can. He's reaching out like a child reaches out to his parents or a grandparent simply just in order to simply be held. And I, I, I love being a grandpa. I do, I love being a grandpa. I, I like it. And it's not, you know, in that old adage, you know, I get to send them home. If I didn't send them home, they'd be even more disciplined. <laughs> they'd be under the wrath of the hand. Or the rod. I wouldn't put up with that. Some of you say, I get rid of those kids, praise God, they can have that. No, no, our grandbabies are nice. They're doing a good job. But if they didn't, Grandpa, he's going to take care of it. But here's the thing. Praise God, I don't have to. I I do like that part. It is kind of nice. They do crazy stuff, kids. Crazy stuff. And some of that stuff, the stuff that just is annoying at times. And as we get older, it's it's always sometimes a little more annoying than we'd like it to be. You know? Now, I just taught a lo- I'm just i not going to go into it. I was going to talk to you about my lesson just a little bit ago. But, but it is. I, I, I love these grandbabies. They're great. And uh, you know what I love about them? I love their energy, the energy they bring. You ever notice those kids, they got so much energy. They're going crazy. I love that. I love that they like to jump off steps, and they roll around. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's fun. We're over at my parents' house, and the two little kids, the lung- youngest ones, are just fighting, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're wrestling around on the floor. I mean, they're one and a half. And they're already wrestling and pulling each other down, and I love that kind of stuff. I love the energy. I adore their smiles, their laughter. And you love to hear kids laugh. I'm talking about young kids too, not just old. I'm talking about young kids. It's just amazing when they get a little belly laugh going, you know. Again, they're just so alive. They're fun to be with. Now, there's a window where they just love to be with you. Okay, and I say a window of time. They just love to be with you. And um, <clears throat> there, is, there are, are very few thrills, at least in my life, that match that of a grandchild who walks up to me with both arms raised high above their head, longing for me to pick them up and hold them. Amen. I'm going to tell you something right now. When one of my grandbabies comes up to me and goes, like that, I am like, yes. I mean, it is like amazing to me. And I know maybe that doesn't thrill you, but it thrills me to death. They're so adorable. They're irresistible to me at that point. I can understand why David was a man after God's own heart. I I can grasp that. Because every time those grandbabies reach out to me, they get another piece of my heart. You say, well, sure, that's wonderful and all, but most of the time they just want something from you. You know, I keep a few M&Ms on hand. I'm grandpa, right? But I keep some M&Ms on hand. And so um, it, doesn't, it doesn't take those kids too long to know that grandpa has the goods. You know what I mean? You give them some M&Ms just a couple times, pretty soon they're like,
0: <laughs>
1: right? It's like you're a magnet. Hey, listen, I don't care. You say whatever you want. I, I'm okay with it. Bring it on. You know, stretch those arms out. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to do it. And you know what? Sometimes they forget they even wanted the M&M when they get in my because that's the way I am. And then other times they're like, I don't know who teaches these kids sign language, but I think you're crippling them because then they don't talk for a year and a half. But they're all like, they're all like, you know, please, please. I'm like, well, please. Obviously you want some M&Ms, right? And that's like, okay, Grandpa's got some m and m He got some stash over here. Let's go. It, you know, And so I really don't care that they just that whether they want me or they just want the candy at times. It doesn't bother me that much. It really doesn't. When Emmy or Laney come running over to Grandpa with their arms up, I don't care why they're doing it. I'm just happy they're doing it. I take them in my arms. I hold them tight, spend some time with them, maybe give them a few little pieces of candy. And I'll tell you what, we, we just enjoy each other for a while. I believe God loves it when we come to him with our arms outstretched, longing to be held close. I just think he loves it. I also believe, and again, you don't have to agree with me, but I believe that God's okay with us reaching out to him in hopes of receiving something from him as well. I mean, God wants, to, God wants us to want him, and, and, and he makes us clear. He said, you know, casting every care upon him because he cared for you and and, and, and he tells us that all of the provision that we get in life comes from God, the Father of light. So we know that if we want something, we have to go to him. So I don't know that he's upset when we come crying out to him, I stretch forth my hands unto thee. And I think God's very happy and I think he finds great joy in that. If I find joy in that, I'm sure God does. He created me in his image and his likeness. And I think there's characteristics and qualities about us that reflect on God and that God reflects on us, and as a result of that, I think we can kind of understand how He feels when we stretch our arms out to Him. Let me ask you, when's the last time you reached out to God? When reached out to Him? Let me ask, when have you found yourself so thirsty for God that you broke from your busy schedule and just cried out to Him to pick you up and hold you? Can you remember when you were in his arms last? If you were in his arms, you'd know it. you say, I'm trying to, trying to remember. It's been a while then. I know it may seem crazy for, for a lot of people to think about a grown man that looks up into heaven and wants to be held close by God. But David was a man's man, though. He was a warrior. David wasn't anybody to be trifled with, and yet he was tender enough and humble enough to reach out to God. There's coming a day when he's going to return and take us up to be with him, or a day where we close our eyes in death and enter into his presence immediately. If we've not spent time in his arms here, we won't be looking for him when we get there. We'll be looking for somebody else that did hold us in their arms. And yet there is nobody more worthy that we should be looking for when we die and end up in heaven than him after everything he's done for us. I'm a blessed man. I have the world's greatest wife. Gentlemen, if you think you do, That's how you're supposed to feel. That's good. You ought to feel that way. We should be able to, remember when you were kids? My dad's tougher than your dad. My dad could beat your dad up. You ever play that game when you was in school? We did. We always played it. Oh, yeah, well, my dad, he. Yeah, but my dad, he, before we know it, we're fighting over whose dad's tougher. Well, with us as men, we ought to be fighting over whose wife's the best. No, my wife's the best. No, my wife is. You should see, she makes this best meal you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, well, she, my wife does this. She does. We ought to be like throwing down. You know, there ought to be that kind of, you know, we ought to feel that strongly about our wives. But even more so, we should feel that way about God. As believers, we're to be reaching forth unto God then. It's, it's sad today when God's people are content with the, uh, this middle-of-the-road faith, you know? You know, we're satisfied with simply getting by and just doing enough to pass the eye test, you know? Now, I go to church, and I read my Bible enough that my kids know I like the Bible enough. Yeah, I'll skip it, but, but they, they know I like it, and they lo- I love it. And, and, and they, people see me at church, so they know I'm spiritual, and we're passing the eye test maybe. That's too bad if that's really what our goal is. And I contend with you that we are in desperate need of reform today. A reform that requires repentance. A reform that requires a realignment. Now how are we going to reach forth in our relationship with God? Well I believe that we have to continue in the pattern to some degree that we saw in Philippians chapter 3. We spent five weeks there talking about the Apostle Paul and Certain things there, but we read over there in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 through 14, you probably almost have it memorized. Go ahead and turn there, would you? But you, you probably could. If I started quoting it, you would probably go, oh, I, I know that verse. We've been talking about it so much, but I want to just take just a couple minutes now and I want to look at how, or how we're going to reach forth, or if we're going to reach forth, what do we need to do? Just basic things. Because this could go on forever, right? I mean, that's one of those things that, man, we got you know a whole Bible written about it, right? So, I mean, we'd be here you know, next week still, never taking a break, and I don't, I don't know that I could handle that. I mean, being with you all week. But anyway, uh, <coughs> did I say that? No, I, I'm not supposed to say that, am I? I'm a preacher, I'm supposed to say, oh, no, I'd love to be with you all week long. I, I told you, even the grandkids, I'm glad they go home sometimes. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) This is getting bad. Okay, so anyway, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Here it is now. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You say, okay, we're going to try to draw that and make a pattern out of that? Yeah, so let's just do that real quick. Here it is. Okay, I, I believe that we all need to Reach forth unto God. We all need to have a hunger and a thirst for God like David did. I'm convinced of that. I I think that honors God. It pleases the Lord. It brings glory to Him. So how are we going to accomplish that? Well, let's just take a couple simple thoughts. One, be careful concerning the past. The Apostle Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. If we're going to reach forth unto God, then we have to be very careful concerning the past. We have to be careful looking back. You know, there can be wonderful memories that encourage us. However, too many times we allow the failures of the past to affect our present and our future, and we get so worried about being who we were that we fail to become what we should become. You know, we're, we're so focused on our failure of the past, we allow it to somehow kind of paralyze us with fear. If I try to go another direction, I'll just be drugged back into it. I can never get loose of it. I can never be free from it. And all along he's saying, no, keep your eyes on the prize. You have to look at Jesus Christ. You have to acknowledge and recognize Him as the goal. You need to be Christ-like in your attitude and your outlook. Don't keep focusing on the failure. Focus on your friend, Jesus Christ. And so we have to be very careful concerning the past when it comes to reaching forth unto God. If we get too preoccupied with our past, then it can discourage us. It can wreck us. It can even ruin us. Maybe you failed God in the past. You know, if you, as you look back, you think, man, I really messed up with God. Maybe you lived an extremely wicked life at some point, or you rejected Him at every turn. Well, the Apostle Paul understood that, remember? He was one that persecuted the believer. He was zealous, but zealous for the wrong cause. And he did some pretty heinous and horrible things. But the devil's good at getting us to look back at those things and saying, how could God use a sinner like me? How could God take somebody like myself and actually transform them into the image or the person of Jesus Christ? That's that's not going to happen. Perhaps you walked with the Lord at some point. Maybe you were serving him faithfully even in the past. But you drifted for one reason or another. And you kind of think to yourself, you think, I used to walk with God, but I fell. Boy, I'm going to tell you what, the devil's going to use that to discourage you. He's going to say, yeah, you used to serve God before, too. You used to read your Bible and pray. Oh, you were all in in those days, and then all of a sudden, you got out. It'll happen again, buster. Buster. You'll get on fire for God, you'll emotionally be aroused, and then all of a sudden you get down the pathway somewhere and you'll go weary and well-doing just like you did then, and you'll give up on God, you'll quit going to church, you'll stop reading your Bible, your family will blow up, it'll all be a mess again. Why even waste your time? You've done that before. I'm telling you, you have to be so careful about the past. If you're going to reach forth, you cannot allow the past to cripple your possibilities Moving forward, be careful concerning the past. Be cautious looking back. It's not always profitable. Yes, remember where you came from. Yes, take those things and and say, I'm going to be fired up. But I'm telling you, when you start focusing on your past and its failures or even the successes that turn to failure, boy, the devil's sitting right there on your shoulder going, (laughs) that's, that's what you're all about, Mr. and Mrs. Failure you'll never do anything for God. Be, be very careful concerning the past. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. Paul had to forget some things in order to live the victorious Christian life. And the truth is, so will we. There are some failures we've had. There are some mistakes we've made. There are things that we've done even or said that... And Can I tell you, I, I'm a firm believer that... And again... You know, I know I'm starting to get a little older, okay? My perspective's a little different. But listen, you can think all you want about the wonders of the Internet, the wonders of all of this technology, but I'm going to tell you one of the greatest, one of the most detrimental aspects of it all is that you make a mistake and you're never allowed to forget it the rest of your life. Man, you used to be able to move out of your city and go somewhere else and start fresh again. You can't do that now. It's all on the internet. It's all saved. If you text people, you emailed folks, you said certain things, you did certain things, you took videos of something, or you, it's all still there. You got to beg God, please God, bury it, bury it, bury it, bury it, bury it, bury it, bury it. Well, the devil just wants to keep bringing your past up or keep you thinking the past is going to come back to haunt you. Well, you got to be careful concerning the past. Listen, young people, don't make mistakes that you have to be afraid of moving forward or regret moving forward. But for some that have made mistakes along the way, you just got to confess them. You just have to trust God with them and be honest. Trying to cover things up, you're wasting your time. You might as well just be straightforward and blunt about things and just say, this is where I've been, this is where I'm going. You know what? I don't have to be afraid of somebody bringing it up because I'm the first one to say, hey, I made some mistakes, but I'm not going to be that man or woman again. Whether you think so or not, I really can't, I I, I can't please you necessarily, but I'm going to please my Lord one way or the other. But either way, that, that past, you better be careful. You better not focus on it. You cannot allow it to cripple you. You can't allow it to paralyze you. So if you're going to reach forth unto God, the first thing we see here, I believe it's Paul again, helping us here, forgetting those things which are behind. Be careful concerning the past. Number two, he says, reaching forth into those things which are before. We need to be convinced in the present. Now, I'll explain that in a minute, but remember Paul now. Paul, he he decides, I'm not going to look at my past anymore. I'm not going to depend on my past. I've got some... Pluses in the past, I've got negatives in the past, but the fact is that the past isn't what's going to earn me any favor with God. It's not going to somehow give me kudos with the Lord. It's not going to place me in a position of, of trust with God at all. Man, the truth is, it's all about Christ now, what Christ did for me on that road to Damascus. And that's exactly what I'm trusting in, Christ alone. Paul said, I'm not going to look back. Uh, you know, He said, he said brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He said, I'm going to do a 180 degree turn now. I'm not going to, to, to let the past rule me. I know that I've made some mistakes. I know that I've failed. I know that maybe even I did some things right, but I did them without God. I'm not going to depend on my own ability, my own strength, my own, uh, my own uh, uh, flesh. I'm just going to depend on Christ moving forward. I'm repositioning myself from looking back to looking forward now. And that's the second step, identifying the direction you're standing in. You've got to know where you're going. Convinced in the present, what? If you're going to reach forth, then we cannot be pointing the wrong way. We've got to turn to God completely. We've got to know who he is. In Romans 12, turn there, would you? One and two. We talk about it to nauseam probably in some cases. People are like, oh, I'm tired of hearing this one. We preach it all the time. It's always quoted. It's always talked about. Probably because it's always needed. In our own lives, daily, actually. Look what the Bible says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul's speaking again to the church at Rome. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He's just spent 11 chapters talking to them about the mercies of God. And he says, Because of all of God's mercies, here's what I'm going to tell you. You need to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. After everything God's done for you in the past, it's time for you now to say, I'm going to present my body to him. He is worthy. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Again, notice that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. See, in the Old Testament, uh, offerings were presented regularly. There were always offerings being made. They offered all kinds of things to God. I mean, we we see it. They sacrificed things, they offered things, always offering unto God, sacrificing unto God. Today, God's asking for an offering, and that offering is you. That offering is me. It isn't what we possess. It's not what we have in our possession. No, not at all. He wants us, personally, individually. Why would you and I present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice or offering? Can I tell you simply? Because He's worthy. That's why. He is worthy. That is why. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, please. Isaiah 6, verse 1. Notice in the book of Isaiah, we're going to have the prophet now. He's going to get a glimpse of heaven, but more important, he's going to get a glimpse of God. Amazing. Watch this. It's amazing. Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. The prophet Isaiah is seeing something. It it exceeds his imagination. He can't even imagine what's going on. He's just like, wow, this is amazing. He says, I saw the Lord sitting high upon a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two or twain, he covered his face. With two or twain, he covered his feet. With twain, he did fly. One cried unto another and said, Holy, and then the next one said, Holy, and the next one said, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I got to believe they were all crying at the same time, staring at each other. It kind of gives me that feeling too. They, and one cried unto another. It's like I'm crying unto you, and you're crying unto me. Holy, 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 each of them speaking. But each of them speaking to one another, reaffirming Is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now, can I tell you, not only is God creator, but according to this passage, he is holy. The natural response to holiness is humility. Okay, now The natural response to holiness is humility. Anytime you and I see the holiness of God, it will inspire us to be more humble. It will force us to find humility. Isaiah's response to God's holiness is found in Isaiah 6-5. How does he respond? He says, woe is me for I am undone. See, he's humbling himself. He sees God high and lifted up. He acknowledges God for who and what he is, and he says, wait a second, I am not holy. I got a problem here. Instead, I am now humble. When I measure myself to God who is holy and high and lifted up, I am nothing, nothing at all, and I am now humbled in his sight. And he says, I am, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The holy God loves you so much, however, that he left heaven and came to earth. And this is an amazing truth. In Philippians 2, 7, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. That's talking about Christ. He who is holy, he who created all things and is perfectly holy. He, the Bible says, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. But he goes on. He he didn't simply take his place among this this sin-sick creation. No, he actually died on our behalf. He goes on in Philippians 2, verse 8 to say, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We know in Romans 5.8, he says, But God commended His love, or showed us His love, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, why would God Himself endure the grief, the pain, the agony of the cross? And again, we we find here in 2 Corinthians 8 9, and I'm moving quickly because of time. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. You can say, well... You know why he did it? Because that's what he should do. It's what he should have done. I mean, he made me, right? It's his job to take care of me. Really? Think about what I just said. Now, you, you may think to yourself at some point, Well, yeah, I mean, of course he came to earth and he died on the cross. He was buried and rose again. He he left heaven and he was rich, but for my sake he became poor. I mean, why wouldn't he? I mean, he created me and he loves me, right? So, I mean, that's what he should have done, right? That's his job. If he created me, then I'm his property. He's got to take care of me. It's on him. Really? So let me ask you this question then. So God exists for you. Right? So God exists for you. That's the question. Well, I'm not going to go that far, but I mean, come on. I mean, he made me the way I am. And I mean, wait. See, the purpose of God in creation and life is to make mankind more comfortable and provide him with a happy existence, right? That's why God exists, to make us happy. God exists to help us escape hell. God exists to, to give us a good life. That's his whole purpose, right? And so when I don't see God helping me to have happiness and joy, then what's wrong with God, right? But that is not how it works. See, the truth is, God doesn't exist for me, and he doesn't exist for you. You say, well, what's the deal then? Well, Ephesians gives us some insight. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. I think sometimes we misunderstand who God is and what his role is in our life. And somehow, if we're not, if we we're honest, we would have to admit, we somehow feel God's obligated to do for us. He, we deserve God. I mean, we're his children now. Well, wait a second, though. We can't lose sight of his holiness. We can't lose sight of how high and lifted up he is. We cannot forget who God is. And we can't forget who we are. Look at what Ephesians 2, 4 says. Here it is now. But God, who is rich in mercy, praise God for that, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved. Praise the Lord, right? That's good stuff. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Yes! There it is. Hold on. Here's the kicker. Watch. That in the ages to come... Here's the reason for all of it, that in the ages to come, he might shew the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Hold on. You, you say, what's he saying? Well, in the ages to come. You're not talking about right now. you talking about in the future. What's going to happen in the future? What's, what's the whole purpose of him coming to earth, becoming a man, dying on the cross, being burned and rising again. What's the whole purpose of providing the Holy Spirit so that we can live a life exemplary unto Christ, so that we can be Christ-like in our actions and our attitude? What is the purpose of all of that? It's to bring glory to God. That's the whole purpose. And in this case, in the ages to come, he says that that, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Here's here's the picture. It's kind of like one day when we're all in heaven And we're hanging out with the Lord, or we're working for the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe we will be working. We see evidence of that over even in Genesis when we see that he placed Adam in the garden to care for the garden. I think we'll have work to do, but it'll be pleasant work. It won't be as hard as it is today, because that's part of the curse. But the fact is that work will be pleasurable. We'll be serving the Lord, but it'll be a pleasure to serve unlike anything we've ever experienced. And the fact is is that we're going to be around the Lord and someone's going to come along, especially the angelic host and others, and they're going to look at Jesus Christ and they're going to see us and they're going to say, Oh my goodness. How'd that happen? His grace is so abundant, unmerited favor, He showed that guy grace enough to be in heaven after the way he was and who he was. A sinner, a wretched, vile, nasty sinner. And for the ages to come, every time the creation sees me, every time the creation sees you, it will recognize the grace of God. And it will bring glory to him. He doesn't doesn't exist for me. I exist for him. See, it's all about his glory. And why shouldn't it be? The depths of our sinfulness is beyond imagination. In Jeremiah 17 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's desperately wicked. You say, I believe I'm a sinner. You don't even know that. You haven't scratched the surface of how wretched and sinful you are. And I haven't scratched the surface of how wretched and sinful I am. We can't even wrap our mind around how nasty and sinful and wretched we are in the sight of a holy, righteous God. And we'll sit judging God. Come on, God. How could you let that happen to me? Oh, that's right. He was created for my pleasure. He became for me. It's not me for him, it's him for me. If I was to live my entire life seeking to please God and yet I spent a thousand eternities in hell, he would still be righteous and he would still be holy. That's how depraved and sin sick I am compared to him and his holiness. That he even glances my way, that he glances our way. We are beyond. It's just amazing. It's unbelievable. And still he extends his marvelous mercy and his marvelous grace. See, that's a God worth getting to know. A God who would be justified in sending you to hell, but deserves a relationship, but desires a relationship instead. That God deserves glory. That God is worthy of it, like no other. In Revelation four eleven, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, for, thy, for and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. But He goes on to say in Revelation five twelve, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." He is worthy. He's worthy. That's the reality of all of this. And then, of course, we go from that to committing, moving forward. But the truth is we got to get to the place where we acknowledge God's holiness. We know who God is and we want to draw nigh to Him. The fact is, is that we don't really know who God is. That's why we're content to do without Him. We don't even realize how desperate we are or should be. I mean, to think that a holy God would want anything to do with you or with me. I'm a pretty good person. Well, there you go. See, that we have taught in this humanistic society and culture we live in that God is created for our pleasure that he does for us. It's all about humanity. It's about us having comfort and having ease and being successful and satisfied. Everything's about humanity. Everything's about making it better to live on this earth. But that's not why God exists. He doesn't exist so that we can have a pleasurable end in this life. He exists so that he can be glorified both now and for eternity. It's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's always about him. And yet we are the benefactor of all of it. We get to get in on it. But it's not that we deserve it. And you know why I'm convinced that most people don't get saved and start serving the Lord? Because they really never understood how wretched and sinful they are in the sight of who God is. They never got a glimpse of Him, but yet they claim to be saved maybe. Are they saved? I don't know. They better come to the Lord the way He said. They better recognize themselves as a sinner. And the truth is, if we see ourselves a big enough sinner in the sight of a holy God, it will guarantee humility. You can't get a glimpse of God's holiness and not be humble. The truth is, is we are not very humble today because we're not getting a glimpse of His holiness. I just want to encourage you, and we're going to close it, but I, I, I meant to go on further. I have a whole list of things, but the truth is, is this. I am burdened. I, I, I am really feeling the weight of some things in my life. I feel like maybe in my own life and in the lives of Christianity, we've lost sight of the real purpose for existing. We're losing sight of who God is and what He's all about. It's not Him for me. It's me for Him. It's not what God can do for me. It's what can I do for God. And unfortunately, we're going to fail David said, you know what? I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. I want to be close to you like never before. I want to be in your presence. I want to feel and know your, your, your love. I want to feel those arms around me. I just want to be with you, Lord, at all costs, no matter what it takes. I thirst for you. I long for you. Do you have any thirst for God? Any real longing for God today? I want to encourage you to say, I'm struggling with that. Then I just want to encourage you to get in your Bible and start learning more about him. Look up a verse. Look up verses on his forgiveness. Look up verses on his holiness. Look up verses on righteousness. Get a feel and a picture of who God really is. Try to see God the way Isaiah did. Say, Lord, I want to see you high and lifted up, just like Isaiah. I want to see myself for who I am and what I am, and I want to be able to humble myself so that my only desire and my love is toward you. And the rest of it will fall into place. And let me tell you, the blessings that God bestows on us, we are so unworthy of, but boy, does he pour it on. So I'm not saying that he doesn't want to make us happy. I'm not saying he doesn't want to bless us. I'm just saying he does not exist to do those things. That's not his main purpose. That is the byproduct. It's not the goal. He is not a means to the end. He is the end. You thirst after God today? Boy, we've got to do that. Let's reach forth unto God. Let's not be satisfied with where we're at. Let's take another step closer to the one who took a step toward us. Father, we love you. We need you. Thank you for all you do for us. Lord, today there might be those that are in our midst that are without Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't even know Jesus personally by receiving and accepting Him. And Lord, I pray that they would do that today. They'd recognize themselves as the sinner and as though the message was going forward, maybe the Holy Spirit convinced them, convicted them of their sin and they know, oh, I don't deserve to be shown any favor from God, but oh, if He would show me favor, I would be so happy. Well, I'm glad to say, Lord, that You promised You would if we'd call upon the name of the Lord. You did come to earth and You did take our place on Calvary. You did pay for our sin, but Lord, help us not to somehow think that now Everything you do is really for our happiness, our peace, our contentment. Lord, help us to recognize that we owe you. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our commitment, our sacrifice, that, Lord, whatever's in our life, Lord, we need to allow it to glorify you because, Lord, that's why we exist, to bring you glory. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be humble in your sight, a holy and righteous God. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to